Welcome to Tech.London Talks. Tech.London is the go-to digital platform for London's technology ecosystem, providing a central place to discover resources and interact with our city's thriving tech scene. To celebrate our fifth anniversary, we're running our Five Years On campaign to look at how the industry has shifted over the past years and what the future may hold. Today, we're speaking to Mark Brownridge, Director General of the Enterprise Investment Scheme Association, about the evolution of London's tech scene, the impact of coronavirus, and what he's predicting for the next five years. So I always like to start my interviews with what I call the basics. So just for the record and for the audience, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, so my name's Mark Brownridge. I'm Director General of the Enterprise Investment Scheme Association. So yeah, just a couple of seconds about what we do and how we do it. So we're the trade body for the EIS and the CDIS uh, investment scheme. Uh, so we effectively do two things. We have two main aims. One is to work with government and treasury and HRC and FCA and all fun people like that um, to look at the legislation about how the scheme works, how it operates, uh, how we can get more funding for more small businesses. Um, and the second thing we do, the second main aim that we have is to promote the scheme. So let more entrepreneurs, founders know what it is and how it works. Uh, obviously for us now, the big focus for the investment side of it is tech. So when we speak to government, kind of the three key words when they talk to us about growth, innovation and technology. So a, a massive part of what we do now. Um, we also speak to a lot of, uh, or one of our other stakeholders is investors. So we have quite a few investors as members, uh, particularly from the IFA and the wealth management community. And we do a lot of work with um, the UK British Angel Association uh, on the angel side of things as well. Uh, and then finally, um, our kind of third stakeholder is a whole swathe of uh, professional services people. So lawyers, the tax advisors, the accountants, solicitors, um, everyone is kind of helping and mentoring and supporting small businesses. So we try and bring all those three different elements together and act as a bit of a hub uh, to make all those different uh, things work and let people network and, and talk and make relationships. Wow. So you are, you are, you're really in deep with a lot of different things. Yeah, yeah, we're just trying to connect up, uh, to connect up the dots. Sorry, we find uh, we often you know, different parts of the system work in silos, and we're just trying to bring them all together to, uh, to create a better, more harmonized um, uh, ecosystem. Okay, great. Can you give us a quick summer summary of your own personal journey and how you got to this point in the tech and startup sector and your uh, experience with investing and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, so I guess uh, in some ways I'm hunter turned gamekeeper because uh, my, my background really is in financial services. So I used to be a, a financial planner or work for a financial planning firm for uh, over 10 years. Um, so I was head of research uh, for a financial planning firm called Mazars Financial Planning. So, so yeah, I did all the research and due diligence on, on all the product recommendations that our advisors made. Um, so kind of the, the love affair, if you like, with EIS and SAS started probably about eight or nine years ago. So we did, uh, as a financial planning firm, very little EIS or SEIS. Um, so it became uh, something I got interested in, became a bit of a passion, a bit of a baby project. Uh, and we grew it from doing probably about 100,000 every year to doing 10 million every year in about five years. Wow. Um, just by trying to get our advisors to understand how it works and how it operates, what the risks are, how you can kind of uh, mitigate those risks, how you can build portfolios, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's just an education process, really. Uh, they were happy to go through that, and as I say, I had a passion for it. So, so, um, so yeah, that went on for, uh, I say, seven or eight years or so. Um, got more involved in the industry, got to know more people in the industry, and uh, one of the people I knew was the former director general, who was a lady called Sarah Wadden. Uh, she said she was stepping down. Um, I knew I wanted to get uh, more involved with the industry and how it worked and operated. 
Um, so it's seemed a fantastic way of doing it. And I've been doing it for four years now. And yeah, it's uh, touch wood, touch wood. It's all working pretty well. So what has been the biggest change since the COVID-19 and the lockdown uh, in the way you and your team works to provide services for your clients and companies? So yeah, in terms of the industry-wise, so, so COVID-19 hit, well, well, what were time when we're thinking it's kind of in England, certainly around March time, obviously heading towards that for, for around February time. So for, for us, that's really kind of the key season. So kind of January, February, March, heading into the end of the tax year is uh, is the massive fun time for fundraising in the ICS and mm-hmm. industry. There's a bit of a Pareto's rule, a bit of an 80-20 rule, whereby 80% of all fundraising is done in the last 20% of the year. Um, so for COVID to hit at that time was a, a bit of a, a bit of a perfect storm because it meant that those companies uh, who were trying to raise money uh, in terms of fund managers and portfolio managers had a, had a really hard time because investors started to retreat very quickly. Um, uh, understandably, I guess, if you're an early stage investor, you're investing in high risk companies as it is. Um, you don't want to take any more risk on board by trying to invest into companies that might not be here in three, three four, five, six months. So, so investors are kind of headed for the hills quite quickly. Um, most of the fund managers that we work with, and we, do, we have about 45, 50 fund managers as members, um, they started to tell us very quickly that fundraising was down kind of 60, 70, 80%. So mm-hmm. it just has a massive knock-on effect. So if they're looking to initially raise, let's say, £10 million for their fund, and obviously a lot of them are tech funds and tech-related and tech-enabled businesses, um, if they're looking to raise £10 million, and quite quickly that becomes, say, 3 or £4 million, right. uh, companies they've pre-identified to invest into and deploy their capital into, um, are very quickly being told either, look, sorry, you were going to get 1 million, you're now going to get 200,000, or you were going to get something, now you're going to get absolutely nothing. Sorry, um, we still like to invest in you, but we'll have to wait to try and raise some more money and we don't know when that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a domino effect, really. The amount of fundraising uh, is a conduit of how many companies can be funded. So if that's slashed by 60, 70%, then the number of funded companies can get funded is slashed by 60, 70%. So um, you very quickly had a very uh, significant effect. Uh, and as I say, the domino effect has been for those companies themselves. So obviously, you've got a massive demand side issue whereby more companies need funding, one, for working capital, and two, obviously, for their growth plans. Uh, and on the other side, the supply side, supply has just almost completely dried up now. Um, or There's very few kind of brave angel investors or very few IFAs who are investing at the moment. Um, so it's a difficult environment uh, and it's happened very quickly. And yeah, we're certainly worried about a lot of companies out there, um, particularly tech companies, because um, obviously we hope uh, coming out the other side of this is going to be these type of companies that will bring us through and give us the growth that we're going to need and, and to grow the economy. Because one thing for sure, we're going to have to grow our economy pretty damn quickly when we come out the other side of that. Okay. And we, we, we feel like it's going to be tech-enabled businesses that perhaps do that. They're going to be the ones that give us innovation and, um, and give us the growth. So we need to protect those, kind of ring fence those companies, um, get them through the next three or four, six, five, six months um, to come, get them through safely. Because the, the kind of message we hear from them is that, you know, as I say, it's a bit of a perfect storm at the moment. Uh, and to carry on that analogy, um, most of them just need a lifeboat to get to shore. They just need a bit of funding to get them to shore. Um, to get them through the next six months. Once they get that, you know, they happily go on their own way and live and die by their own um, uh, credibility and, and what they do in the market. But at the moment, it's creating a bit of an uneven playing field because um, this has obviously hit many different areas of the, of the sector um, pretty quickly and pretty significantly. How has COVID uh, affected your relationship with, your, with the companies that you were already invested with? So we don't invest directly ourselves, obviously, but we have 55 members who do. So I think mm-hmm. kind of 
the track on that. So, so most of um, the fund managers we're talking to are one shoring up or making sure their existing companies and their portfolio are okay. So the, the, the kind of first port call is to protect those companies because obviously they've invested in them before um, and they want to make follow-on investments. Uh, they want to make sure their money's um, obviously in those companies is, is doing well uh, and keeping the company afloat so they can go on and do bigger and better things when we're through this. Uh, and then two is the companies they want to invest into. So those companies they've identified as being promising, as being emerging, uh, they still want to invest in those companies. Uh, they're kind of keeping them on standby and saying, look, if we get money, you're our, you're our first port of call to invest that money. Um, it's just as I say, the fact that they can't or finding it very difficult at the moment to raise that money. Um, so yeah, there's a bit of a, a bit of a shoring up of portfolios, a bit of working capitals, getting them there to get them through. Uh, still keeping a watching eye on those ones they can't invest to, unfortunately, at the moment. Um, and the ones I, I guess there's also a bit of a winners and losers type situation here. Um, talking to a lot of fund managers, you know, a lot of their companies are actually doing really well and flying. So I'm thinking of uh, meal delivery kits. Quite a few companies, uh, sorry, quite a few fund managers invested in those type of companies um uh, gaming uh, uh kind of streaming services all those um type of companies doing really really well they're flying getting new subscriptions mm -hmm. center. so they're doing they're doing brilliantly because situation because we're all stuck at home and we need entertainment and we need things to do um but at the end of the scale uh, companies like travel companies obviously really really struggling at the moment um anything obviously where you need to, to kind of move around or mobilize is really difficult so yeah it's it just say it's created an uneven playing field and through no fault of uh, any company or, or any kind of micro decisions companies have taken. It's just the fact that the macro situation has really upended everything uh, and put us where we are at the moment. So yeah, it's tough. Uh, as I say, it's tough when you're seeing winners and losers. It's, um, it's difficult to appreciate why that should happen in a normal course of events. The company does well through its own merits and the decisions it, it, it personally makes, but at the moment um, we're not in that place. So it's tough. Do you have any good uh, examples of the companies you've been working with or uh, case studies about working with people in this change of work and what that looks like specifically? Yeah, the, the, the immediately obvious ones uh, and the most kind of um, important ones really are those that are dealing in biotech and medtech. So we've got a few, a fair few companies who are one trying to find a vaccine or trying to find an antibody test for, for COVID-19. So, you know, they're kind of the most urgent, the most important companies in the world at the moment trying to find that. Because so, uh, if one of them could find a vaccine uh, very soon, then obviously one, that would be fantastic for the health of everyone in the country, but also I'm sure that company would be a very successful company. So um, yeah, there's a number of uh, EIS funded companies and SEIS funded companies who are, who are involved in that research. Um, and then similarly, there's a number who are involved in uh, various other kind of scientific projects. Um, I think one of the most interesting ones at the moment is um, 3D printing. So we have a couple of members who have got companies who are involved in 3D printing. So they're kind of turned all their attention to 3D printing masks uh, and PPE gowns um, and, and all the kind of infrastructure that um, nurses and hospitals need uh, and can be uh, obviously reproduced by 3D printing. So I think that's quite an exciting one. Um, over and above that, I'd say meal delivery kits. So there's a company we know who do... Uh, who send in the post um, baking kits for kids. So mm -hmm. obviously one, that yeah, they can be delivered, so that's fine. Number two, yeah, loads of kids are at home in the moment, working from uh, going to school from home, as it were. Um, so 
they need things to do, parents need things to do with them. So these kits come in a kind of envelope sized box. Uh, they come in things like chocolate brownies, Victoria sponge cakes. So mum and dad can help kids make those at home and, and they're absolutely flying at the moment. So they're doing fantastically well because they have a captive market at the moment. Um, and similarly with gaming, uh, gaming's really strong at the moment. Again, people sitting at home, need things to do. Um, so a couple of portfolio companies are involved with um, gaming. I know one of them is kind of an interactive 3D type game where you can kind of, uh, sorry, a VR type game. Um, it's a little bit like Pokemon. Um, mm-hmm. So they're, they're, again, they're getting subscriptions left, right and center to do that. There's another one that's a comedy channel. Um, again, they're, they're kind of, uh, their raison d'etre is to, to get as much comedy content as they can um, and to stream that. And at the moment, they're doing kind of live webcasts with live comedians, et cetera, et cetera. So again, they're really flying. So they're doing really well. Um, so that's great to see. Um, at the other end of the scale, I say it's very, it's very difficult for our companies in the travel industry. You know, I saw a couple of investments recently that were hoping to do um, a particular emphasis on, on travel. So I think one was uh, a busy working executives who could go away on holiday so they could have a holiday. But at the same time, the place they went to on holiday, the hotel, for example, would have fantastic uh, networking and business facilities where they could do work from home, uh, but enjoy a holiday at the same time. So but obviously, work from again, holiday. Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, so that, that company's, yeah, really struggling, but had great credentials uh, when, when it was looked at kind of six or seven months ago to be invested into. So, so yeah, it just goes to show that kind of two ends of the extreme, really. Um, uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult time. So the, for those companies that are struggling right now, what would, you, what would you say to them? What would be your piece of advice for them? Uh, so, yeah, the most advice we're giving at the moment is to try and get your... your cost curve under your revenue curve so just cut back on as many essential costs as you can and we appreciate it's difficult but we're telling companies just cut back now as quickly as possible whether that means um obviously unfortunately laying people off or furloughing them um you need to do it as quickly as possible no one likes to do this we we like to put off the decision and say look can we wait in a couple of weeks can we wait in a couple of months and make that decision then um but i know most of our managers uh, are telling their investee companies just to just to cut back and cut back quickly and cut back hard because um, it looks like it's going to be towards the end of the year before any kind of social uh, distancing is kind of relaxed or, or put back. And, and, and we're probably not going to be out of this until we find a vaccine, which could be another year, year and a half. So it doesn't seem to be a, a quick fix on the COVID side. So we need to start thinking about how businesses are going to react, how they're going to change, how they're going to morph, how they're going to probably cut costs um, pretty quickly. So so that's, that's pretty much the advice. And it depends on the business as well, obviously. Any business in the pub or the leisure industry is obviously going to struggle for a period of time. Um, again, thankfully, most of the companies in our portfolios are, are tech-enabled or, or SaaS-type businesses, so they're probably a little bit meaner and leaner than most companies anyway. They probably don't have um, hundreds of staff, for example. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's a little bit easier for those type of companies. Um, so, so we think they can just cut back on costs, you know, keep very much an eye on costs, uh, hope to see revenue come in as, as quickly as it can, use some of the schemes that are available. Some of the lobbying we're doing uh, is hopefully, um, touch we're going to see a scheme for kind of pre-revenue or early stage companies. Because at the moment, um, coronavirus business interruption loan scheme is debt. So for that's uh, for revenue companies, uh, say future fund is probably for companies that had quite a lot of equity funding in the past. It's not really a scheme for early stage um, certainly pre-revenue or not had equity funding before, but we're thinking of doing it. There's not really anything government interruption inter, um, intervention-wise that's helping those. So we're working with government at the moment to try and put something in place um, for a lot of those companies.
a lot of detail on it at the moment. And it's, it's going to be uh, a matched funding scheme where the government gives money and then private investors match alongside that. Um, we feel that's probably more for kind of later stage VCs who are really just kind of shoring up their portfolios. So if, you, if you're invested via a VC at the moment, um, you're probably fine as a company. Uh, you'll probably get mm -hmm. funding through that, but probably two thirds of SMEs out there aren't part of a VC folio, portfolio or haven't adequately funding before. So they're not going to benefit from that. Um, so that's an issue uh, from an EIS and SEI's point of view. Um, uh, the feature fund is going to work with convertible loan notes and, and EIS and SEIs aren't compatible with that. So it doesn't really work for us. Um, so yeah, hopefully that funding will make its way into the market into those companies pretty quickly. Um, it's 250 million pound fund. Again, we think that funding could be used up quite quickly because there's a hell of a lot of companies out there that need funding. So, so yeah, we have some issues with it, but uh, we, we certainly hope that money can get into the market quickly and help companies because obviously that's what all the packages are aimed to do and, and hope to do. So that's our hope for that. We're going to move into uh, what I think is the fun part of the interview, or the most fun part, I bet it's not all fun. Um, it's, I call it Life in Lockdown. It's designed yeah. to be kind of a quick fire session. It's just going to be talking about some of the stuff you've been doing uh, since lockdown. And no or pass are perfectly acceptable answers to any of these, okay? Yeah, go for it. Do you have a favorite quarantine series that you're binging right now? Something on Netflix or Hulu or a podcast, et cetera? Uh, yeah, yeah. With, um, to be honest with you, um, you know, talking to a lot of people, that's all they're doing, watching kind of Netflix and box sets, et cetera, et cetera. I'm probably watching less TV than normal because we're so busy with lobbying and, and trying to work with government. But um, you know, the thing we're watching at the moment is Designated Survivor. So I think we're on yes. series three of that now. So, um, so yeah, really enjoying that. Uh, like a good political drama. So, yeah, no, that's really getting into that. Do you have a favorite quarantine snack? Uh, quarantine snack, that's a good question. Um, I definitely eat more chocolate than normal. I don't normally eat chocolate, and it's been Easter as well, hasn't it? So, right. yeah, I come, in to, uh, I come in to get something to eat or a drink, and there's a whole pile load of Easter eggs still left over from Easter. So, yeah, just keep dipping into those at the moment. So, yeah, probably two weeks after Easter, still eating Easter eggs, basically. <laughs> nice what is the one thing that has kept you sane ah uh, that's a good question um it's just been nice yeah i was talking to someone the other day actually saying about lockdown and um the fact that you know you can look, look out the window and you can actually hear the birds singing you can see the trees and you take a bit more time to appreciate the world around you um, and there's a kind of theory to say, you know, maybe we should do this every two years. You know, you, you look at some of the, the news broadcasts about how the world is actually breathing again and how there's no less, way less um, smog and pollution and, uh, and things like this. So it kind of makes you appreciate, you know, that's just after, what, two, three months of, of lockdown and how much more could be done if you, if you actually put your time and effort into into perhaps doing this every year for example so i think that's an interesting theory um we live quite close to the park so you know we're able to go there for a walk there and again it's just being able to take the time and appreciate things normally you kind of rush around and and do things uh, but this at least has given you the time to kind of sit things drink drink things in a little bit more than perhaps you would do normally so yeah that, that's probably keeping you sane i think and especially at the moment because i'm looking out the window now and the sun's shining and it looks fantastic out there so it's just nice to be able to go out and enjoy it that's nice, nice, nice. Um, going into my last couple of questions, uh, what do you think your COVID story will be? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, on a personal level or as a kind of industry level? Oh. Um, so on the industry side, I think, um, yeah, it's going to very much be dominated by the fact of how much 
government support we get over the next week or so for small companies. So as I say, we're kind of lobbying hard for that. So I guess um, probably be able to answer that question a bit better in a week or two or so. So, so very much uh, our kind of dream or vision is to just to help as many small companies out there who are struggling. And we, funny enough, um, to thinking about it, we did a survey of 250 companies, SMEs, who are all fundraising at the moment. Um, and actually thinking about it, I think 25% of them were tech businesses. Um, so it's a big proportion of them. Um, but yeah, just uh, reading through the comments, um, just how many were struggling at the moment and finding it difficult and worried and how they're going to get through the next six months. You know, they had term sheets from investors and they've been pulled or the valuations have been pulled or they're just like they were going to raise money and now they can't raise money. So it's just, it's just devastating to hear those stories. So I'm hoping um, when the government gives us some support, we can start to hear some good news stories. And I'm very much, uh, you know, when I look back, hopefully in a year or two, three or three years, uh, hopefully I'm going to hear stories from small tech-enabled businesses who are able to say, actually, do you know what? We got through this time because of a scheme like EIS or SEIS or because of our investors. And now look what we do. Well, look at what we're doing. We're, we're massive companies employing hundreds of thousands of people and changing the world. So, so very much hopeful we can look back at this time um, in a good way and say, look, actually, if it hadn't been for this time, that, that those certain circumstances might not have been around and that wouldn't, it might not have changed our company in the way it did. So, so yeah, hopefully that'll be the legacy kind of for the industry. Um, from a personal point of view, yeah, I think, um, I, think, I think we're all beginning to appreciate that this will change the way we work. Um, so again, I think we'll look back, um, you know, history is a good judge of character. We'll look back at this time and say, actually, that's, that's when we change the way we work. That's when we realise we should be spending more time at home with our family and our kids and not just running around. You know, that's not what life is all about. Life is trying to appreciate what you have around you. So hopefully we'll all look back, or certainly I will look back and say that that was a time when that really kind of kicked in and kind of developed my thinking going forward for life about how you want to live your life. Right. Find a nice balance. Finally being forced to find a nice balance as a society between work and life. Yeah, yeah, it's sad that you've been kind of forced to be able to see it that way, but yeah. Um, yeah. Great. it comes about, it's got to be a good thing. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. No problem at all.